Do you oh. feel like you've been discriminated against because of your hair? Oh, all, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Unfortunately, it's disgusting, but it's true. Hair texture, my hair pattern is me. It's not something I need to change to fit a norm. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Hello, everyone. This is David Ushery. Welcome to the Debrief podcast. And we have been focusing on matters of race and systemic bias in our podcast over recent months because it's become obviously a part of the national conversation. Some people like to use the word reckoning, but there are so many aspects to it. And this week, we're tackling one that might surprise people, the idea that you would need an act of Congress to literally prohibit the discrimination against someone because of his or her hairstyle. But that's essentially where we are. This is a story that Tracy Strahan tackled. Let's listen. I'm um, going through medical school. I also did a PhD. Like throughout that time, people had different standards of what they thought was professional. And they would question my hair, my hair choices. In the chair at Harlem Natural Hair Salon, Dr. Sarah Anderson Burnett still shakes her head at why over the years she's been looked at differently. I would throw in braids. I would throw in like a, a wig or a weave. I just did whatever I wanted to and it, it was liberating for me personally. Um, but I think it was hard for people to some people to accept that this was part of my identity and my hair texture, my hair pattern is me. It's not something I need to change to fit a norm. The doctor's defiance, that embrace of her true self, hits differently for black women. We're talking about the fact that for some people, hair is an accessory. For some people, it's a political statement. For some people, it's literally a display of cultural pride. So it means so many different things to so many different people. You know, we're, we're not a monolith. Curls, locks, braids, wigs, afros. While the range of styles can feel as vast as the African diaspora, black women know there's one commonality. Do you feel like you've been discriminated against because of your hair? Oh, all, all the time. Yeah, all the time. People do, unfortunately, discriminate against hair. It's unfortunate, it's disgusting, but it's true. Sometimes hair discrimination makes horrific headlines, like the case last year of the high school referee in New Jersey who forced a young wrestler, Andrew Johnson, to chop off his locks in order to participate in a high school match. But often it's more subtle, as Representative Ayanna Presley powerfully explained on the floor of Congress last month, it starts early. From personnel handbooks to school dress code policies, afros, locks, and twists have been codified as proxies for our black skin and manifestations of anti-black racism. Many, especially black women, grow up hearing that our natural coils and kinks are distracting, ghetto, ugly, and unprofessional. From as early as grade school, black girls are pushed out of school for wearing their hair naturally, and as we grow up, we are taught to straighten our hair if we want to get a job or simply to live our lives in peace. Presley was speaking in support of the Crown Act, which stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. It's legislation that would make it illegal to discriminate against someone at work or school over the way they wear their hair. And so for people of African descent who for too long have been told that Eurocentric standards of beauty has to be what we strive to, this is really about righting that wrong. Paula Broadwater, owner of Harlem Natural Hair Salon, says everyone needs to get the message. We've had clients who have been told even by their black superiors 
that their hair was not acceptable for the work environment. But change is coming. Backed by a powerful political coalition and with support from companies like Dove, the Crown Act is getting traction. It was passed by the U.S. House in September and has become law in seven states, including New York and New Jersey. But the challenges it faces are clear. When State Representative Robin Porter introduced the Crown Act in Connecticut this year, she describes pushback from one colleague tinged with racism. He said, you know, well, I don't understand why we have to do what other states are doing. And, you know, I'm not I'm not into this whole monkey see, monkey do business. And I mean, like the, the complete, the entire room was like a gasp, you know, and, it, and it's, it's gaslighting, you know, it's dog whistles. It, it's those kind of things that happen. So you have folks that fully understand, and then you have folks that, that, that fully don't understand. They're just not educated around our experience. And that brings us to one more experience with hair that black women may not tell you, but we all talk about. Tamika McNeil Johnson owns Manhattan's Jaded Tresses Salon. There is an obsession with the touching. Oh, I love your hair. Can I touch it? People don't even understand the phenomenon of the touching of the hair and what that does to someone. Right, it's offensive. It's an evasion. <laughs> it's definitely an evasion. Has anybody ever asked to touch your hair? Yes, they have. <laughs> yes, they have. One of the most formative experiences I had as a child was being in the elevator and this man reaching out to touch my hair. And I had two Afro puffs and I love it. And my dad immediately said she is not a petting zoo. That was just that was just a moment that I'll never forget. And it really formed how I've um, I guess reacted to people's um, perspective on my hair. Dr. Anderson Burnett says that touching of her hair has continued throughout her career and it strengthened her resolve. The resolve so many women are feeling now to go natural, to express their true selves, no matter what anyone thinks. And so the question I think for some people is like, what does a pediatrician look like? What does a scientist look like? And it looks like me. Tracy Strahan, News 4 New York. Great story from Tracy there. And now to talk a little bit more about it is someone we heard her interview. Adjua B. Asamoa is a political strategist. She's the founder and CEO of ABA Consulting, LLC. And full disclosure, she's very busy in the political season and political campaign right now. So we're happy to catch you for a few minutes, Adjua. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, especially in my personal capacity. So I really appreciate being here with you. You know, I said at the top that maybe it surprises some people. It doesn't surprise African-Americans when it comes to the issues of hair and sensitivity about it. But it may surprise people as I look at a list here of twin sisters in Massachusetts who had to serve detention when school officials determined their braids violated school policy. Known to us here in the tri-state, Andrew Johnson, a black New Jersey teenager, as Tracy mentioned, made to cut his dreadlocks uh, by a white referee uh, in order to continue in a school wrestling match. But elsewhere, a student, uh, Barber Hill High School, 16-year-old Caden Bradford, suspended for the length of his dreadlocks. These stories may come as a surprise to some people, but not to you, Adjua, which is part of the reason that you've been fighting on this issue. Absolutely. You know, there has really been a long-standing history and problematic practice of racial discrimination based on hair in the United States. Uh, there have been countless cases where black people have been discriminated against for wearing their natural hair and or protective styles, including but not limited to locks and twists and, and bantu knots and afros. So, so many of the cases that you just referenced really served as the motivation behind this movement. You know, people have been fired, literally fired from their jobs for their decision to wear their hair naturally. 
folks have been passed over for promotions and have even had offers of employment rescinded. It really impacts the upward mobility of individuals and the families, and it has been the reason that far too many children, like those who use names, have missed school and had negative educational experiences. You talked about Andrew Johnson, who, you know, was forced with a decision that he should have never had to make as a student, a student wrestler. He was a boy, and he was forced with the decision to either choose having his locks cut and his identity attacked or forfeiting a match he had earned the right to participate in based on his talent. I think about a dynamic student in Louisiana who was sent home in tears because she wore her beautiful braids that were deemed a violation of school rules. A student in Texas was told he literally could not participate in his high school graduation ceremony with his friends because of his locks, which was a display of his cultural pride. And again, when you talk about Andrew in, in New Jersey, I think the world, you know, collectively gasped as we witnessed that video that went viral. Right. Again, just being forced with the decision to choose between his identity and having his hair be a representation of that or to actually be able to participate in a wrestling match. So you're spot on in that this issue touched so many of us. And Adra, explain when an employer says that they want what they might say race neutral or they won't maybe not say Eurocentric, but that's essentially what is interpreted to be because we don't want hair of anyone to be a distraction. Explain why that misses the mark. So some of these these policies, you know, are purported race neutral. And while we certainly acknowledge that race is a social construct, racism is very real. When you have a standard that doesn't include or reflect even the true diversity of our society, when you have a default standard right. that is Eurocentric, then people can use code language, you know, about meat and right. clean, uh, given the perceptions of locks and braids and twists somehow, because it's, it's certainly not true, uh, are the opposite. So we're really tackling those. We've heard cases where they've tried to use length to suggest that that's the reason why you can't participate in your graduation. But we also know that your hair didn't just grow overnight. Time and time again, seen these cases where people have literally just been discriminated against based on their decision to wear their hair naturally and or protective styles. And, and it's really beyond time that it's been tackled. And we, the Crown Coalition, have decided that it warrants a legislative fit. Right. And let's just, before we let you go, let's get a uh, status check from you. I know you mentioned it in, in Tracy's story, the Crown Act. Just so people in our area understand, New York, New Jersey, and California, these states have hair discrimination laws on the books. They make that against the law to do so. Um, 22 more states want to do this, but you're trying to get federal action. And I think you've had some success in the House. But, but give us a status check as to where you are. Absolutely. So it's passed in multiple states. Uh, introduced first in California uh, and in New Jersey. It's really important uh, to note one cool factor, which is on the one year anniversary of that horrific incident with Racism um, blatantly displayed. The right. governor signed the bill into law. So from one year, right. okay. from the time that that incident happened, the governor actually signed that bill into law. So that's important to note. Several states have passed it. New York, California, New Jersey. It goes into effect today in Maryland. Uh, Delegate Stephanie Smith uh, carried that there. It's passed in Colorado and in Virginia and in the, the state of Washington. It also passed the legislature in Nebraska, although the governor opted to veto it. Context is important, though. So when you ask me about Congress, I must acknowledge 
that it was Congressman Cedric Richmond, who I went to first when I first started working on this issue, who pledged his support and was the champion of this bill in the U.S. House of Representatives. It's important to note that Congresswoman Marsha Fudge, who was then the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus back in 2014, I believe, who, when the Army proposed bans on certain hairstyles, took action along with Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and they penned a letter then with all of the, the women of the Congressional Black Caucus calling out the inherent discrimination in, in terms of trying to ban certain hairstyles. So it's important to acknowledge those people who have been champions of this issue. Certainly Congresswoman Marsha Fudge and Barbara Lee are two that come to mind when I think about those who have taken action, although, you know, not the Crown Act, they certainly took action as lawmakers uh, before I even came into this space. So extremely grateful for Congressman Cedric Richmond for championing it. Congresswoman Marsha Fudge, Barbara Lee, and Ayanna Presley for carrying the bill in the House, as well as Senator Cory Booker in the Senate. It has passed the U.S. House of Representatives. They have made it loud and clear that this form of discrimination cannot be tolerated. And it is now up to the Senate to do its job and that is to hear this bill and to also pass it as well. So we have some work left to do. You can always uh, contact your lawmakers. They work for us until we decide they don't. And you let them know exactly uh, what it is that you want to see passed. And if the Crown Act is it, then you should certainly call and let your voice be heard. It's important for public opinion to inform policy, and that includes public opinion from all different walks of life, including those of black people. Right. All right. Well, a call to action there from Adjua B. Asamoah. Thank you so much for your work on this and, and for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you so much for having me. And that'll do it for this edition of The Debrief. I'm your host, David Ushery. We want to thank our production team, uh, Melissa Mack, Ben Berkowitz, Darren Price. We'll check you next time.